Uh, tonight is Wednesday, May 2nd, 2018. The title of tonight's message is Too Close for Comfort. Too Close for Comfort. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10 and say there when you are there. Joshua chapter 10. We always promise you as pastors, as people who get up in front of you in this church, that uh, we have not, in in 99 cases out of 100, we haven't determined what we're going to do weeks in advance. What we do is we trust that the Lord is working in us in a way that will be beneficial for this body. Uh, We've been through a few series lately, which is very unusual. In December and January we did. But as a large part of what we do here at the church, we just, as anyone who gets up in front of you, the demand that we make of a speaker before you is that they get in the Word constantly and that they promise that they will speak on behalf of what the Lord has been sharing in their life. So that's exactly what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to trust that what the Lord is doing in me is going to be something that you need tonight. Not because of any greatness of me, but because of His greatness. I'm trusting that what He's doing inside of me. So I'm excited to share this Word with you tonight. And it starts in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 9. Are you there with me? After an all-night march from Gilgal, From the place where the reproach was rolled away, Joshua took them by surprise. Come on, that's a fun, this is a fun part of the story. All right, we're already getting in here. The the getting is good. Joshua has proclaimed to the Gibeonites that he's going to come. They cried out to him. After they tricked Joshua and the people of God, they said, hey, uh, now we're in trouble. We're getting attacked by five kings. And uh, we need you to come help us because you promised us that you'd help us. Joshua says, all right, let's load up. He marches all night. Joshua took the enemy by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. And what a great thought. Who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Azka and Mecca. As they fled before Israel on the road down to Beth Haran to Azka, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. Are you, are you picturing this? Large, like, meteorite kind of things that the Lord is hurling down from space. Bam! Boy, it's kind of fun when you read through Job. It just, it, this passage always reminds me of Job, where, where he's starting to ask Job, Hey, were you there? Do you know where I have the storehouses for the hail? Do you know where I keep the lightning? Do you, you know where that is? Come on, tell me, big boy. Uh, uh, no, sir. Well, apparently, he's unleashing some of that right here. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Yeah, lest we start thinking any victory that we have is more us than the Lord. He's just showing you in a big time way right here. The hailstones. The people that they weren't even aiming at. The people running away. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still. Come on now. And the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Joshua. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. About 24 hours, this thing stopped in the middle of the sky. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Pastor, why we, this, is, this is one of my favorite stories. It goes on and on. It is, it is an incredible thing. What we have been talking about as a church over the last few weeks, over the last about month or so, is the idea that Joshua didn't come here and he didn't ask for uh, nicer circumstances. He didn't ask that the enemy be destroyed. He didn't ask that uh, he get more troops or more weaponry. What Joshua asked of the Lord and spoke to the son was this. Hey, you stand still in the sky. Why? I just need more time to beat the enemy. I don't need an easier set of circumstances before I go after this guy because as a matter of fact, I can look back on what the Lord has already done for me and know that God is fighting for me. So because God is fighting for me, I don't need anything else from me, Lord. Just give me more time to do what you've told me to do. I, I just need a little extra time. I think I can get it today. I just need you to extend what today looks like. I want to tell you that I, am, I come tonight proud of this church. I'm exceedingly uh, happy with what the Lord is doing in our midst. I love the fact that in the last few weeks we've been everywhere from Russia to Turkey 
to Israel, to Egypt, to Georgistan, to Georgia, to India, to Peru. I love the fact of what we're doing here. I feel like the Lord is already starting to get victories in our midst, where the Lord is taking care of our enemies by hailstone even more than we have a chance to put the sword to. I love it, and I love you. What I want to make sure that we're doing and what the Lord is doing in me, what he is pressing on my heart, what I can't get away from, what I see everywhere I turn is this picture of Joshua. Lord, I don't want to begin to ask for things that are comforting to me. I don't want to ask that you move in a way that makes my life any easier. What a strange thing to start thinking. Lord, I don't want my life to be easier. I don't even want to necessarily have more resources. All I want is for you to give me more time. Just give me more daylight so that I can work. Is it John chapter 9 that says there's a day, there's a time coming, there's a night coming when no one can work? Just give me more daylight, God. Give me more so that I can get out there and do what you told me to do. Because I know that your victory will continue as it has in the past. You're going to take care of more than I can. I just want to get out there and I want to use my sword for a reason. I want to get in the fight, Lord. I don't want it to be easier. I don't want you to take the burden that I have off for this group of people. Don't take off the burden, Lord. It's heavy. And it hurts to wear sometimes. Please don't separate me from this burden that I have. Please don't separate me from the weight of being your pastor. I don't want it to go anywhere. Because I know that there's something very, very valuable in, this, in the suffering, in the persecution, and the difficulty that we're under. Where are you at today? Have you found yourself that you're asking for, for comforting things? Oh, it would be nice if you had a little more money, wouldn't it? I mean, come on. I mean, who couldn't use more money, right? Yeah, I'm not sure that that's the best thing for us. As I've seen time and time again, whether we've been here or whether we've been on the mission field, you know what I'm finding? I'm finding that our human comforts, that the creature comforts that we are seeking, are one of the worst things that Christians can get. If you actually pray and God actually gives you and makes things easier for you, you think that's what you want. But the problem is, is we all start backing away. We all start relaxing. We also, man, we've had a good service already. I mean, we really could. We could pray, lay hands on people right now and be like, this was a service. God has moved and spoken in our midst. And you know what happens is we can get satisfied and kind of, I don't think that's what the Lord has for this group of people. I don't think the kind of comfort that we often seek as human beings is what he wants to give us in the way that we're looking at. Let's take a look at another passage of scripture here. Let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's start in verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody ever able to relate to this passage of Scripture? We, we suffered in the province. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. What does that mean? He's writing about it, though, isn't he? It means he endured it. Yeah, but the feeling in the moment is, is that this is way too much for me. Lord, I can't handle another. And then we fill in the blank, don't we? Lord, I'm not sure if I can handle another set of persecution. I'm not sure if I can handle another problem on the job. I'm not sure that I can handle another physical problem in my body. I'm not sure that these things are even doable. Far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired even of life. I know that we have physical issues in this room tonight for some people. That is life and death. Babies yet to be born. Things that we are struggling with on the inside. That feel like we have even received the sentence of death. We despaired even of life. Verse 9, indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Anybody ever been under so much pressure you're, really, you're like, I'm not, I'm, this may be the end of me. And if you haven't yet, praise God you just hadn't been around long enough yet. 
I'm not sure that I can make it to the other side of this. Maybe it's not a physical end, but it's some like, hey, the end of this dream, the end of this thought, the end of this direction in my life. I can't tell you how many times that I've bumped bumped up against that in my life. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. I am terribly good at relying on myself. I'm working really hard not to do that. And I still stand before you and say, if you let me, if you give me just enough comfort, you know what I do every time? Is I rely on myself instead of relying on God. There's something about me being comfortable that makes me go, I got this. Rick, I got it, man. I mean, I may not have had it yesterday. And I know I was just feeling the sentence of death, but if you give me just a little bit of of relaxation, I'm like, no, I got it now, though. I'm, I'm back together. I can handle it now. God allows difficulty in our lives, and he allows us to feel the sentence of death so that you might not rely upon yourself, the strength of your own arm, but on God who raises the dead. What was the word that came forth tonight? He wants to put that resurrection power in your mouth. He wants to give it to you. He wants to feed it to you. He wants you to be able to taste and see that the Lord is not only good, but He's powerful in our midst. This is what the Lord is trying to speak to us, that you cannot rely on yourself. But pastor, I'm working really hard not to. Yeah, He's going to make sure that you don't. Because He loves you. And if you are still operating where you are able to accomplish your to-do list in a day, then you are not yet where you're relying fully on Him. If you are still able to accomplish everything on your to-do list in a given day or in a given week, you are not yet fully relying on God. And what He is demanding of us, what He is encouraging, what He is coming alongside of us tonight and saying, I want you to be fully relying on me. Because you're a people, we say it, we pray it, we, we proclaim it. God, you're good, you are good to us. You're never going to let us down. You're never going to let us down. And then we get in situations, what do we do? We're like, he might let, us, he might let me down. I'm going to go take care of it now. We proclaim it, and I can feel that God is reiterating. It reverberates in my spirit. He's never going to let you down. And the distance between me saying that during worship and me living that in the rest of my life is the distance that he is trying to, he is trying to close that gap. I believe it when I'm sitting right there. I mean, I'm just like, yeah, you're never going to let me down. Whichever. Either total victory or total like, oh, I needed to hear that tonight. Anybody needed to hear that tonight? Yeah, me too. Feeling it, man. Loving it. He is just good enough to say to this church, if you're serious, I can prove it to you. And I will continue to prove it to you. But you have to get away from relying on yourself before I can show you what that's really like. Or we're going to seek our comforts. We're going, to, we're going to retreat back into our own comfort, our own ease, our own. I'm just, I'm, I'm good right here. I mean, I want to see the miracles. But you realize what it takes to see a miracle, right? You have to be in a situation that nothing else but God's hand will work. Everybody wants to see the miracle, but nobody wants to be in the dire straits that it takes to see the miracle. Well, that's why he's not asking us. He's working in our behalf and he's saying, I want to show you more about me. I want to reveal more to you, but you can't stay there and you can't rely on yourself and have me show and reveal myself more to you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, I promised you that I'd read scriptures to you tonight that have been impacting my heart in tremendous ways. Here's another. 1 Peter 4.12. It says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. It's not just a trial. It's a painful trial. As though something strange were happening to you. It's amazing how accurate the Word of God is. It's amazing how it just pinpoints our hearts exactly. This is a painful trial. 
something, something strange must be happening to me, Sam. I don't understand it. It's strange. No, it's not. It just feels that way. But rejoice. Come on, everybody say rejoice. Rejoice. That you participate in the suffering of Christ. That is a crazy statement. Be happy that it's really tough right now. Yeah, we know that the Bible reiterates this over and over and over again. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Rejoice so you can get even happier. Yeah, what was the heading of that? Oh yeah, suffering. Painful trials. Seems It's so painful, it seems strange to you. How do we take this joyfully? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Come on. When that guy spits at you on the side of the road, you're blessed. When your family can't get over why you are now with that cultish church, maybe you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you suffer, it should be not as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. In that, uh, I just love the Word of God. If you're going to suffer, it shouldn't be for a murderer or a thief or even a meddler. Yeah, see, the murderer or thief part, I was like, yeah, that's pretty much not me. Ugh. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Um, Folks, the reason I'm bringing this to you tonight, I want to challenge you on where you sit in your comfort level with the Lord tonight. I want to challenge you, and I have no qualms about telling you directly. I want to challenge you. It is my desire as your pastor to have every single person in this room completely fulfill the call of God on your life. I know that if we keep running to our comfort zone, if we keep running to our safe little spaces and our cry rooms that we want to have, then you're not going to fulfill what God has in your life. And you're going to all the while lament and think that there's a problem with God. And the problem is, is how much we want to hold on to our comfort. For it is time for judgment, verse 17, to begin with the family of God. You know what? I want to invite the judgment now. Lord, come and deal with me now. Come and deal with me at this altar tonight. Do something in me now. Because if I decide that it's better to wait, my judgment only grows. I want to stay just soft-hearted before you, Lord. I don't want to get comfortable in what's going on. I want to stay in the tension of where you are and where I am. And I want to keep pressing forward. Because I know that it takes me being uncomfortable, suffering, being persecuted for the very name of Christ for me to get where I need to go. We just got back from India. It was an anointed, amazing trip. You know what? My, my one request for Anand, my friend, was, Anand, you're too good of a host. We need to suffer a little bit more next time, brother. And he looked at me and he kind of smiled and, oh, brother. Oh, brother. No, Anand, I'm serious. The Lord is working on my heart. Yeah, be free, brother. The Lord is working on my heart. We cannot be seeking comfort or we're seeking something other than God's will. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Are you all with me tonight? Colossians chapter 1. Verse 24. Oh, here's another scripture. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Not only am I rejoicing in these painful trials, I'm rejoicing now in what was suffered for you. It wasn't even suffering that was my fault. It wasn't even suffering that was for me. It was suffering that was done on your behalf. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. For the sake of His body, which is the church. Can you look at that phrase just for a second? I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking. You know what Paul is saying there? I'm actually welcoming suffering into my life. The areas in my life that aren't quite yet what God wants them to be, you know what's going to fix that? I'm going to fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. 
The problem isn't with Christ's affliction. The problem is in what I am still lacking. I've got to embrace this and take it into me. What do we do as human beings, though? We take any amount of discomfort and we push away from it. Why do we want the jobs that we want? Hopefully it's because God told you to take that job because it's going to fulfill a purpose in you. If, you're picked, if you pick jobs as Christians based on the amount of dollars that they tell you, perhaps there's more comfort that you are seeking than you realize. If we pick our homes based on where it is or the prestige that it has or how our homes are designed for, to fulfill a purpose in our lives. Acts 7 says that he orchestrates, he determines the times and the places where we're supposed to live. You know what you're supposed to do? Lord, show me the house that you need to put me in. And at this church, probably show me the family that may need to live with us, Lord. You know why we don't, you know why it's crazy what we do? Having multiple families in single, in in singular houses. You know why it's crazy? Why most people look at it is because you can run home when you have just you in your house. You can hide. You can find the comfort that you want and nobody has to challenge you. Nobody has to challenge you if you're all by yourself. What happens when you start mixing with other people? What happens when you have to die to yourself even in little things? It causes you to get rid of your comfort, but you know what it also does? It makes you closer to the Lord. Why? Because I'm having to practice the thing that I can run away and go in my own room and hide? Yeah, y'all are going to be in my house. We have the door open at random times all day long. We're like, hello? (laughs) We're upstairs. We're like... Anybody come in? And it's Nick walking in the door. Hey, Nick. Need anything? No, I'm good, Pastor. Okay. That's fantastic for me. That is fantastic for my family. Because it doesn't let us get so comfortable that we're not have to be ready to jump up and help and serve someone else. That's a little PSA for for our, our way of life here. We have to learn how to fill up in our flesh what is lacking as far as Christ's afflictions. Let's look at verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. I'm telling you, we we are building a church here, an Acts kind of church where we see the fruit of the Spirit and we see His gifts. We see the workings and manifestations of the Spirit in our midst and on a common basis. And you know what's still inside of me? Is that every single person here will fulfill their walk in Christ. And we're not yet there. Well, we have a lot that are running like crazy. This is the finest church that I've ever been around. And even in the finest church that I've ever seen or been around, there are people in our midst who are so involved in their own comfort that they may miss out on the totality of what God has. If it's up to me, I won't have it. I can't let you stay in your own comfort and miss what God has for you. Verse 29, To this end I labor, struggling with all of His energy, which so powerfully works in me. Man, what an incredible thought here. What happens, though, when we don't fill up in our flesh, when we don't handle this idea of comfort, when we don't take care of it rightly, when we're seeking our own ease instead of going after what God has for us? Turn to Jonah, chapter 4. Jonah, chapter 4. So just Rob's there. Okay. I got some more. Okay, I, I don't know. Let's look at verse 6. It says this, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Well, praise God. That's very kind of you, Lord. Thank you. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Aren't you just really happy when the Lord does something and he eases part of your discomfort? You're like, the Lord is good. He's never going to let me down, right? But at dawn the next day, the devil provided a worm. 
No, that's not what it says. It says God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. But this is why if you just read the Bible, just read the Bible, so many points of people's theology will get punched right in the face. God would never do anything to make it difficult on you. Of course he would. What kind of stupid philosophy is this? There's no way. You can't find that in the Bible? That's ridiculous. I said stupid. Proverbs 12 says stupid, so I can say it. God provided a worm. Then God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. Well, that escalated quickly. It didn't say he was out there for a week. It was literally the morning time. And then the east, scorching east wind. It must have been in India. I mean, I, I understand what that's like. He wanted to die and said out loud. It wasn't just an internal thought, but it came out of his mouth. It would be better for me to die than to live. Because you're sweating? Really? That's your solution to this. But God said to Jonah, listen, listen to this conversation. Just pretend like you don't know the story of Jonah for a second and listen to this. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. I do. He said, I am angry enough to die. Now, we're looking at this and it really, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's the height of something that is ridiculous. Because he's literally talking to God and saying, I do in fact have a right to be upset with you. I would rather die. Dude, just go inside a building. Pop up an umbrella, something. No, death is the choice. Great. That's brilliant. Look at verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. Now we start getting to something where it's a little bit less laughable because if we leave it in Jonah's lap, this is funny. This is ridiculous. How about we not leave it in Jonah's time though? You ever gotten upset that something was taken away from you that you thought you deserved that was providing comfort? Has God ever provided a worm in your life and a scorching east wind that took away something that you thought you deserved and now you're just as mad? You might as well just be mad enough to die. That perfect job, that perfect house, perfect car, perfect life, whatever it was, that now is not there, that you really didn't do in the first place, that God just caused to grow up over you. You've gotten so mad at things because you really love your comfort more than you want to say. The Lord is saying to us tonight, you've been concerned about the vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? It's not as funny by the time he ends. By the way, this is one, it may be the only book, it's the only book I can think of in in this moment that ends on a question from God. Usually the books in our Bible kind of end on a statement. They just end. This one leaves us with a question. You know what having the wrong kind of comfort in our life does, it gives us the wrong kind of focus in our life. Come on now. Let's be honest here. Let's let the Lord search our hearts. When was the last time you got mad at some provision that was taken away from you? When was the last time you were so focused on one little thing that you missed the giant, huge, big picture of God's will and His plan because you were so stinking focused and so mad at God? It's not as funny now, is it? Because it applies to us. What is your reaction when your discomfort is no longer there? When it's no longer being eased, rather? How do you respond to that? Do you say the right things on the outside, but have a lot of anger going on on the inside? Are you here at this church 
a church that you didn't cause to grow up, that has been providing shade for you. And the minute that you get corrected by Elder Bosch, what's your response then? Are you cursing at God? Is God asking you, do you have a right to be mad? You're like, as a matter of fact, I do. I mean, you didn't hear what Pastor Wade said to me. Perhaps the Lord is trying to get our attention in some very, very significant ways here. Man, I love the Word of God. It pierces past our own self-deception and allows us to see rightly where we stand so that we might be corrected and get it right. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Verse 28. Genesis chapter 5, verse 28 says this. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah. Okay. And said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Do you know what the hope for Noah was? is that he would make their life easier. I mean, he's going to comfort us in the painful toil. I mean, because the Lord has cursed the ground, of course. I mean, we're not complaining. We're just saying it was the Lord's fault. We're not complaining at all. I mean, it was the Lord that sent the worm and sent the scorching east wind. But I mean, you know, Noah. By the way, the word for Noah is close in the Hebrew language to the word that means comfort. It sounds, it's a very similar. So the idea here is, you know, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil. <laughs> Have you been looking for comfort in areas that you didn't sow and that you didn't, you didn't plant and you didn't water, but God just caused it to grow up? Maybe you've been looking for comfort in the actual, just the painful toil that, that is before you. When we want things to be easier, when we want our workload to be easier, as we've talked about before, I do not think that Genesis 3, the work that God gave us men to do is for our benefit, it's for our good. It is the solution, not the problem. If you don't know what it's like to be tired every day when you come home from work, then you haven't yet begun to work. You may have a job, but you have not yet worked. Young men... Mature men in here, you need to have a work life that shows the Lord works into you and works out of you a whole lot through the job that he gives you. Quit trying to run to something else that pays better. Why don't you be faithful to where God has put you and let him have his work? Don't seek after the comfort. Go after the work that the Lord has for you. Amen? Because wrong comfort will give you wrong direction. It'll cause you to think that what God's doing to bless you is in fact there to curse you. You get all confused. Let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Look at verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. Wow. Wow. If you look back up in verse 20, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. By the time you get to 24, he says it in the negative version on the opposite way here. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you. It's a bad thing for you to get what you want right now. Inheritance received all at once is not a blessing. We think it is. We want it to be. We want to alleviate ourselves from the struggle. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. You know what we don't handle well? We don't handle comfort well. You know what we don't handle well? People thinking that we're good the adoration of other people is usually not a good thing for us. It turns us into self 
self-sufficient, arrogant men. People. I was going to say something else, but that's where I'm going to stop. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Pastor, I think we're getting it. Mm. Yeah. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Let's look at verse 3. This is going to be a passage. It, it, it's just, I, I was thinking about this passage today. I was talking to Buddy Brasso. And we were talking about this passage, this passage of scripture today. Sorrow is better than laughter. Wait, what? Laughter is like a good medicine. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. This is like bizarro world of a scripture. It seems like it's completely opposite. And if I would have read it and not showed you that it would hear, you'd been like, yeah, pastor, you got that all backwards. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. What are we talking about here? It could be a lot of things that we can look at, but in context of what we're talking about tonight, you know what sorrow can do for you? It, can, it, it goes in the, first, the few verses before that about it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Why? We don't need help in forgetting what the Lord is doing. We don't need help in ignoring God's processes in our life. We're really good at that part. When you're going to a funeral, you know what's good about going to a funeral? It reminds us to number our days. It reminds us to know that the best of us have a very, very finite time here and we better make good use of our time. What does sorrow do? It causes you to want to cry out to God and have Him work in your life. I'm not against joy and laughter. What I am saying is that in our midst right now, I think the Lord is saying, hey, we need to get away from comfort. We need to push back away. Whether it's push back from the table or push back from the comforts that we're actually secretly desiring a lot more than we are the presence of God sometime. And we've got to get after this. We've got to go harder after Him. Yeah, Pastor, I don't know if I can. Well, good. I think what He's been showing in me is that there is a propensity that I have that is veiled from my own eyes that I want comfort more than I care to acknowledge to anyone. I've given away things. I've, I've sold houses. I've given away cars. I'm, Lord, I've done all, haven't you seen all these things that I've done? Haven't I really given away the comfort? Yeah, well, maybe it's not an entire house for you. Maybe it's a certain thing within your house that you have tucked right there by your nightstand. Maybe it's something in time. Maybe it's something that no one else would find comfortable, but you find it comforting in every way. Lord, I don't need a new car but I really do need this car. What is the comfort that the Lord is trying to move us away from the creature comforts of home? Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, but you do not have because you do not ask God. Why? Because you're still relying on yourself. That's why you don't ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. What I'm trying to make sure tonight is that we're not asking things in our life that are merely trying to get us away from anything we find uncomfortable. Because those are wrong motives for us to be praying. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Man. Amongst a church that is moving after God. I don't want us to have even small areas of our life where we've set ourselves up as an enemy 
of the Most High. Those areas that we, that we can't quite understand why there's not a breakthrough. We're trying to find these things out tonight. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. Wow, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Yeah. People who are idle... People who have so fallen in love with comfort that they have forgotten how to work to go after what the Lord has for them. Stay away from them. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Wow. The scripture has laid out very, very clear pathways for us. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. As we turn the corner from making sure that our, what kind of comfort can we receive from the Lord? What is the kind of comfort that God actually gives? He's not interested in making our lives easy He's interested in us having a holy, powerful walk in Him. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 36. It says, The Lord will judge His people and have compassion or give comfort on His servants when He sees that their strength is gone. Wow. When He sees that your strength is gone, isn't that the thing that we try to hide most from the people around us? I mean, like, when we're broken, even when we're broken, we don't really want people to see. We want to show that even, that we still have enough strength to, to lift our own head. The Lord will judge His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees their strength is gone. How much do you want to keep fighting for your own strength? How much do you want to keep fighting in your own comfort? When are we going to finally find out that when it's when we're weak that His strength is made perfect in us? When are we going to keep, stop lamenting the fact that we can't do all that He has assigned to us? When are we going to stop running away from that instead of running towards it? I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to fill up in my flesh that which is lacking about Christ's afflictions in me. I'm going to grab hold of that and make it part of who I am. I'm not going to hide it from you. I'm going to run towards it because I know that's where his strength and comfort lie. Goodness gracious. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. <clears throat> we can't go after comfort like Jonah, but it is in fact God's will to give us comfort as we are seeking him. Isaiah 40 and verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He doesn't just says it once, say it once. He says it twice. Comfort, comfort my people. Let the Lord comfort you. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. You know when you get the comfort? When you've completed the task that he's put before you. That her sin has been paid for. Do you know what should be comforting to us? The power of his salvation. The power of the blood of Christ. The power that His Spirit rests upon us. That should be where we find our comfort. Not getting away from difficulty, but running to Him so much and watching Him wash over us. That her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Many of you know this. The word there is kafel. It's the idea that when your debt has been paid... That she, is, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I've heard people explain it. The Lord is punishing them twice. It's the idea that the bill has been paid in full, stamped, and it's been doubled over to let you know that it's been paid for. We're going to post that that your bill is now paid. It's doubled for all her sin. Her sins have been atoned for. Your sins have been atoned for as you walk 
in obedience with Him. That is what we can find comfort in. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Let's look at verse 50. We'll do verse 49 since it's at the beginning of a a section. Psalm 119, verse 49, it says this. Remember your word to your servant. For you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. That phrase should perk up your ears. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Not any strength of our own. Chris, the comfort in your suffering should be that God has promised. His very word is what preserves your life. These are not just idle words, Deuteronomy 32 says. These are your life. Verse 51, the arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws. Everybody say ancient. ancient. Yeah, we're trying to get back to the origin here. We're trying to decide that the old wine is better. We're trying to get back to make sure that the stones we have are being scraped so they won't be scrapped. So we're building on the same foundation all the way back to when Abraham was. This is what we're doing. The ancient laws. Why is your church so involved in the word of God? Because it's the only thing that we've got. It's the only thing that makes a difference. I was talking to a pastor who called me several times while I was in India. Pastor who's struggling, going through difficulties, a friend of mine, a dear friend. I asked him this very simple question. Pastor, how much do you get in the Word every day? Do you mean my sermon prep time? Nope. Sermon prep doesn't count if you're a pastor. If you're anybody in this room and you're preparing for a sermon, when I ask you if you're re- what you're reading in the Word of God today, I mean, what are you reading just because you love Him? I mean, how, just how much are you just staying in an intimate relationship with the Lord? Are you reading the Word? His answer was, Oh. I'm so ashamed to say this. I don't ever really read the Word of God unless I'm studying for a sermon. There's your problem, my my dear friend. The realization that fell upon him was almost overwhelming to him. He was so embarrassed, and he should be. What about you? Are you reading only to prepare for the next thing? Or are you just reading because you love Him and you've got to stay intimate with the God of all creation? He's given you His Word. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. I find comfort that I'm supposed to go through the suffering. It brings me comfort when I read your words, Lord. When I feel the power of your Spirit, like what our team led earlier, and I can feel that your Spirit is here, and I know because I'm deeply involved in your Word. That's the comfort I need. That's the comfort that changes me and gives an opportunity to change those around me. Since we're in Psalm 119, let's look at verse 76. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. What are his promises? It's the word. We've got to find out what those promises are because it provides comfort. Turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 4. Very, very familiar passage. Your grandma has it quilted somewhere in her house, I'm sure. It's on a doily somewhere right next to the lamp. (laughs) Psalm 23 and verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, well, doesn't that echo Paul's words from earlier? That sentence of death? I will fear no evil. Why? Because I am awesome. No. Because I'm not a scaredy cat. No, because you're with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff. The thing that brings correction and the things, the things that bring training. The things that bring rebuke to your life and the things that bring teaching to your life. It's almost like the Word of God acts as both a rod and a staff for us. And it's His correction and His training that do what? Wow, that comforts me. If you are a person who is revolted by correction, you're actually pushing away from the very comfort of God. If you cannot accept correction from your husband, if you cannot accept correction from the leaders in the church, if you cannot accept correction from the Word of God or from His, from His people, you're pushing away from the very comfort that He gives. Wow, that's, that's not where I want to be. Turn to John chapter 14. We are rounding the corner. John chapter 14. Verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The word for counselor there is one who comforts. Perikletos, one who comes alongside of to encourage you, to enliven you. Come on, anybody ever think about comfort being enlivening to you? Jesus says here, I will give you another comforter, another counselor. Another besides what? Besides himself. How many times have you read this and not realized that he said another comforter? Another counselor. Yeah, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be helping you. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to give you another one. I'm going to give you a full witness of comfort for your life. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are your comforters. Do you see why it's important that we're not seeking comfort on our own? What are you really refusing when you're trying to find an ease of life versus running to Jesus or running to the Holy Spirit? What are you really doing? You are in both hands pushing away Jesus and the Holy Spirit. No thanks. I would rather have my ice cream because I'm feeling really depressed right now. I would, no thank you Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. I would rather go binge on Netflix because I just need a little me time. No, thank you, Jesus and Holy Spirit. I would rather go pick my own job because it makes X amount of money and I feel comfortable when I have this many dollars in the bank every month. Yeah, I don't want any other comfort. I don't want to be comforted by anything else other than Jesus Christ and the other comforter that He's going to give me. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Come on now. Come on, church. We are a, you are a mighty church. Anybody ever just not know what to pray for? I don't quite know. Anybody ever got to the point where you're not sure if it's the Lord or Satan or what? You're just like, uh, 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 do I pray against this? Do I... Is this the Lord doing this to me? I don't even know how to pray. Yeah! Lord, uh, how, how, I don't know. I don't know what to pray, Lord. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Anybody ever think about the Spirit of God interceding for you? That's what happens when we don't go after the comfort of the Lord enough. The Spirit of God is interceding for you. Not just praying for you. To me, there's the, the word interceding has much more gravitas to it. He, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you, man. It gives us reasons for confidence in this place. Look at verse, we're in Romans 8, look at verse uh, 30, 34. Who is, it, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life? 
Jesus Christ, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. When he sent another comforter, another counselor, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Jesus Christ himself is seated at the right hand of God and he's just hanging out. No, he's not just hanging out. He's interceding for you. That should be bringing the right kind of comfort to your life right now. That should make you never want to complain again. That should make you never want to get offended again. That should make you never want to do anything other than go, my God, I have got the comfort that comes from the heavens. The Son of God is interceding for me. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Let's put it on the screen. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. You know why we can have reasons for confidence? You know why you can stand in this place and be ever growing in the Lord and never tire? You know why? Because He is always, He's living to intercede for you. Come on now. What happens when Jesus Christ is interceding for you? Brother, I'll pray for you. Which means I feel somewhat sympathetic to you today. Please don't say that you're going to pray for me if you're not actually going to pray for me. I love you. Just don't, just don't lie. If you're going to commit to praying for somebody, honor your word and pray for them. Amen. Don't do the Christian thing where we just kind of say it and don't mean it. Because we have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who are actually doing it. I will join with Jesus Christ and intercede for you. <laughs> Amen. Well, then do it. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Not just a little bit. Not just from some of your problems, but from all of your problems. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, hears me, he delivers from them all. He, he will take good care of you. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. John chapter 17, verse 20. Says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray, who's speaking here? Jesus, red letters, John 17. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In John 17, who is Jesus praying for? Us. Us. Come on now. That's the kind of comfort that we need tonight. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 in verse 1. It says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Thank you. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Come on now. This is the right kind of comfort for us tonight. It's not for us to get out of the difficulty that we're in. It's for us to run to Jesus. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world, lest we forget and just make Him our Jesus. My Jesus. Amen. No, He's, yes. Amen. And He's so much bigger than that. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. As we, we're, we're wrapping this up. Isaiah 53. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Wow. If that was the Lord's will for Jesus, what do you think his will for us is? If Jesus' prayers were heard because of his reverent submission... And he was made perfect by what he suffered. What do you think it's going to require of us? Exactly what it required of him. He laid it out. He showed us exactly what we should be expecting. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes, uh, makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. You know what happens after we've suffered for a while? We get to see the light of life. 
By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It's not just a New Testament idea that Jesus Christ was interceding for us. We see it here as well. Two more passages. Revelation chapter 7. Let's look at verse... 14. I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There is, in fact, comfort coming. We just can't have the kind that we keep looking for. We've got to have the kind that Christ gives us. Last passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Peyton, you can come on up, brother. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Come on, everybody say that with me. The God of all comfort. This is the right kind of comfort. Our God is a God of comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we, have, we ourselves have received from God. You know why it's so important that we get the right kind of comfort? If you try to do it like Jonah and just are, are trying to comfort by things that are there, what happens? How can I comfort you with something? I don't have anything to give you. Here's comfort. A, a lack of problems. I can't in in JJ work a lack of problems for him. But what I can do is when I'm getting the right comfort from the heavens, when His Word and His Spirit are speaking in me, when I know that they're interceding for me, when I have the strength to persevere, you know what happens? I can comfort anyone in trouble. Why? With the same kind of comfort that I've received from God. When we receive reconciliation, what do we become? We become ambassadors of reconciliation. When we receive strength, because we have tapped out our strength, we got nothing left. You know what you can do is you can look at somebody who's weak and weird and you go, I know what that's like. Let me add comfort to you because he gave it to me. He didn't just teach me about it. He didn't just speak it to me. He put inside of me his comfort. That's the kind of comfort that I'm going after. That's what I've got to have. Why? Because it gives me something that I can give to somebody else. How dare we want to get around that? How dare we want, you know, Noah, he went through the flood. He didn't escape the flood. He was provided for in the flood. That's the way the kingdom of God works. Not that you get to skip it. You don't get to skip your problems. You don't get to skip difficulty. You have to endure. And that comfort that he gives you in the process of enduring is something that is valuable and you can give to other people. Come on, the difficulties that this church has had in the last year and a half, it is valuable. I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know why? And I, and I hate it. I hate when I see somebody and I'm, and I'm praying for you guys and I'm thinking about you. I'm going, God, if I could, I would take that off of them because I think that I'm compassionate. But we serve a faithful God who does no wrong. And apparently, he's given them an opportunity to receive comfort from him. Would we trade the fact that we were on four continents, five countries and four continents the other day? Anybody want to trade that part of our testimony? Yeah, but the difficulties are what allows us to be there. Because He has to keep giving us comfort. Because we keep running out of our strength. Because we keep having more than we can endure. Because we keep feeling the sentence of death on us all the time. And we're like, yeah, Lord, it would be easier if we didn't have this. 
Why can't we be like somebody else? If you want to be like somebody else, then you'll get the, 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 the results of somebody else. I don't want what the Lord is doing in our midst to get muted, to get patted down, to get removed from us. Lord, I want to go after you more. I've got to have your comfort because I want, to, I want my own comfort, but I've got to lay that aside so I can press into where you are because I want to be able to give to others what in fact you have given to me. Verse 6, if we are distressed, I'm sorry, verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Come on now. If you're distressed, it's for somebody else's comfort and salvation. Because they can see it in you. And God places comfort in you that you can then give to them. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Wait a minute. So if we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. Which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. The same sufferings that Paul had are what we're supposed to be able to endure as well. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Would you stand to your feet with me?